Today on Unleashedcast, I talked to Lynn Peabody, Chief Executive Officer of the EY Foundation. I also talked to Maria Owosu-Mensa, who is a new member of the EY Foundation Youth Advisory Board. We talk about the importance of accessibility, regardless of your background, and also how important work experience is in bridging that gap between education and the workplace. It was great to get Lynn's perspective on these things, but also to talk to Maria as someone on the ground who's really experiencing all the barriers and also opportunities that come the way of a young person in our world today. Let's dive in. Okay, um, Maria, Lynn, thank you so much, both of you, for uh, talking to Unleashedcast today. Uh, We are talking about diversity. We're talking about recruitment talent, a variety of things. Uh, Lynn, I'm going to come to you first and talk a little bit about the EY Foundation. In the world of recruitment and talent, it's a key part of the conversation, diversity, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's a huge part of the work you do. So can you just tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so at the foundation, we don't specifically target young people from um, different ethnic uh, groups. But what we do do is we focus on recruiting young people from low income backgrounds. And unfortunately, there's a real high correlation between um, low income backgrounds and ethnicity, which means that 80 percent of the young people that we support are from ethnic minority backgrounds. Um, I think what's quite interesting is that um, previously social mobility and DEI, so um, diversity, um, equality and inclusion, were often seen as separate issues um, with DEI focusing on protected characteristics and social mobility looking at progression of those from low income backgrounds. But I think what we're seeing increasingly is um, businesses bringing the two together under one sort of DEI or inclusivity banner. Um, And I think that's something that we're also seeing um, echoed in the UK government's um, levelling up agenda as well. And one of the things that we found most powerful through our work um, and trying to increase diversity in the workplace is actually just the impact of young people going into a workplace and seeing people that, in their words, look like them. So the phrase that we often hear from young people is um, when they've done their work experience, oh, I didn't realise that accountancy or tech or whatever business it is that they've been to is for people like me. And that's something that we hear every single time um, we run a program. So I think the power of seeing people um, and role models that look like um, look like them shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be underestimated. I think the other thing to remember when you're looking at diversity and trying to increase diversity in the workplace is it's not all about recruitment. Um, retention is, is just as important. Um, and, you know, there's lots of research and evidence out there that for people to perform at their best, they really need to feel engaged and feel like they belong. And, and you know, if you're the first in your family to go to university um, and you walk into a big, shiny, scary corporate building, um, it can be a bit of a culture shock. And to be honest, it can be um, really scary for the young people as well. I went to uh, a state comprehensive um, when I was younger on the outskirts of Birmingham. And then I went to um, St. Andrews University. And that was a massive, (laughs) a massive culture shock for me. Um, I literally felt like I was the only person there that had to get um, a part time job to be able to afford to live there. And just kind of the name dropping of schools I'd never heard of people talking about their ski holidays and their holiday homes. It was just a massive change for me. So it took a long time for me to adapt and I guess feel like I had as much right as others to belong um, and feel like I was part of that university. And that can be a sort of similar experience for young people when they start work. Mario, off the back of what um, Lynn's just been talking about, have you have you experienced any of this and overcome what challenges have you had to overcome in terms of diversity and inclusion from what Lynn's been saying? Yeah, um, I completely agree with a lot of Lynn's point. I think for me personally, one of the 
points that definitely come to mind is definitely my grammar school experience. So in year 11, at the end of year 11, I transitioned from a comprehensive school to a grammar school. And that was the biggest culture shock of my life. I looked physically different. I was daily black girl. I went to a girl's school. I was daily black girl. My whole sixth form in about three or four black girls in the whole school. So it was about 700 girls. Um, so I looked physically different, stood out a lot. In terms of my social and economic background as well, I was from a lower socioeconomic background. My peers, the parents were doctors, lawyers, and my mum was a school cleaner. And there was there were a lot of challenges that came with looking physically different, um, understanding that I was going to be the early, one of the early, if not one of the few, if not the only person who stood out in such a manner and trying to navigate that space was really hard for me. And I think my teachers also didn't fully understand that perspective as well. I actually remember a time in grammar school where I forgot my blazer to school and I actually didn't intentionally do that. Um, so I wore my jacket on top, forgetting that I didn't have my blazer underneath, went to school that day happened to be assembly day. So we all had to go to assembly. And as I was leaving and exiting the room, the head of math stopped me and asked me, where's my blazer? And I kind of explained, oh, miss, I kind of forgot my blazer. And it was the way she told me off. She told me off in front of, she told me off very loudly. So everyone in the hall heard it. And I just felt very much already out of place and even more out of place. And I think for her, she probably didn't realize this, but I do think that that was a microaggression in terms of sometimes people from black communities are seen as disruptive and lawbreakers and not wanting to abide with the rules. So I guess in her case, just trying to use me as an example, as a scapegoat, not to do something like that again. Um, and I actually remember looking across the room and seeing that everyone was staring at me and my, I had an eye contact with my math teacher who you could just tell from her eyes looked like, oh, why are you telling Mara off? She's so not what you think she is. She would never do this intentionally. So it was just being different in so many respects, culturalized, physically, um, in terms of my social and economic backgrounds and trying to navigate that space and understanding that actually I was deserving to be in that room. I was intelligent enough to be in that room. I didn't necessarily have access to the resources that my friends had, but I still deserved a seat at that table um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, unfortunately, there's a there's kind of an inextricable link between diversity and inclusion issues and poverty. Lynn, in terms of employability as well, poverty mm -hmm. is a key barrier to future success. So rather big question this, but um, let's tackle it if we can. How can this be overcome, do you think? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think um, that was a, um, a great story that Maria just um, shared with us. Um, and it's one that resonates, I think, with a lot of young people across the UK. Um, and I guess to put poverty, uh, poverty into um, some kind of context. Um, at the moment, there are 2 million young people who are eligible um, for free school meals across the UK. So that's about one in five young people. And I guess the reason that matters is that if you're in receipt or eligible for free school meals at the age of 16, you are um, three times more likely to be unemployed at the age of 27. So there is a real correlation between poverty or coming from a low um, income background and what your future earnings um, and employment 
potential could be, which, you know, stating the obvious is that's completely grossly unfair, but it's also um, really damaging for employers um, and the economy because they're missing out on amazing, talented young people with ideas, creativity, who could add all sorts of innovation to their business. So they're missing out on an absolutely huge, huge talent pool. But I do think it is something which is which is solvable. Um, but I do think it's something that businesses increasingly really need to take to take note of because you know we've got the cost of living crisis going on at the moment, and and you know that's going to push even more young people um, into this into this category. But there are some really simple things that employers can do. I mentioned when we were talking about DEI, the importance of role models for young people. Um, and this is really, really important for people um, from lower income backgrounds who tend to have limited networks or living communities where there's high levels of unemployment. So seeing people going into work and into these big buildings. They don't necessarily have those networks. So those role models are really, really key. But what employers can do, there's some really simple steps. Um, They can encourage their staff to volunteer. Um, There are loads of school-based sort of employability training programs and initiatives out there and mentoring programs. So encourage their staff, give them the time to take part um, in those kind of schemes. If you've got a business and it's appropriate, then you could open it up and do business tours. Young people absolutely love that um, and gives them a good sense of what you do as well. Or be up for hosting young people on work experience. You know, work experience isn't something that young people get um, in their curriculum or as part of their school life these days. So actually work experience is is really, really important. Um, And there are loads of charities and lots of community organisations. EY Foundation is just one that can support with this. So I think if employers are listening and, and haven't got a clue where to start, then literally get in touch with the foundation or any of the other charities and community organisations out there um, and they can support them. I think the other thing that's important for employers to think about is how and where they're advertising their roles. So we often get contacted by employers that operate in areas of really high youth unemployment. So let me take Bradford for as, as an example, but have so many vacancies and there's just this huge disconnect between the, the employers um, and the young people. So really think about where you're advertising your roles. You know, young people aren't necessarily going to pick up the times and see roles advertised there. So think about, you know, local community um, newsletters or radio stations or these kind of things that you can um, you can advertise your roles. I think the other thing that it's important to kind of mention is that um, now things have become virtual. Don't presume that young people have the right equipment or necessarily the right home environment for interviews. So I think it's a really basic thing to say, but just make sure if you do get young people coming in that they don't presume they can necessarily do a good interview at home. So if you can, give them the option to interview in the workplace as well. And finally, um, going back to back to work experience, if you can, I can't push this hard enough. Work experience is just so, so key for young people because it's not just about giving them business experience and giving them that, that really important sort of line on their CV. It gives them so much more. So loads of soft skills, but also loads of life skills. So things like um, financial literacy, for example, reading a payroll, pay slip. These things are so, so important. And that all comes with this package of, um, of work experience. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I think um, work experience should be should be mandatory almost in um, in in a lot of industries. Completely um, agree. Yeah. Now, Mario, you're also helping to tackle poverty, aren't you? This this is quite amazing. Can you tell us a bit about what you've been doing? Yes. Um, so I have an organisation called Navigate Up, which I guess our slogan is to equip 
young people to become excellent. And the main idea behind that is to provide young people with the, especially those from low socioeconomic backgrounds, with the resources they need to excel. And um, if I go back to my grammar school example that I was making earlier, when I went to grammar school, I used to think that the difference between my peers and I were that they were just more intelligent um, than me. But after a few months at grammar school, I noticed that actually the difference was access to resources. So they had private tuition for every subject about twice a week for every single subject, which my mum could not, my my single mum of three certainly could not afford. They had, their parents were doctors or had, were, had family friends who were in high positions. So they could easily have access to the work experience that they needed to write about in their personal statement and get the top university positions. So I realized um, as I was going through my university journey as well, that 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 issue of access to resources was still quite prominent. And that's what my organization or startup is trying to do, trying to equip young people with the information and resources they need to excel and to make purpose-led decisions as well. And some of the some of the the things that we've done so far, we so far we have a social media page where we basically communicate um, interview tips that most people wouldn't tell you about, talking about some of the unwritten codes at work and navigating work in general, um, talking about excelling and making the most of your university experience, talking about internship and how to inv- evaluate internships as well. Um, we have Notion templates. So we have a personal finance Notion template to help people kind of plan and budget their money um, more effectively. We also have an internship tracker, um, which the main idea behind it is to have a space where you document your internship journey so that at the end of it, you can just take time to truly reflect on your work experience and your experience and to evaluate whether it's in line with what you want to do for the future and whether that workplace truly fits your needs and what you're looking for in the workplace as well. Um, So those are some of the few things that we're working on currently. Thank you. I mean, I was about to say, I didn't do anything like that when I was your age. But then I guess the point being here is that I probably didn't need to, which is, you know, it's all, all the more amazing that you, you're doing this sort of thing. To stick with you, Maria, actually, and talk a little bit about AI, is there, you know, this is going to be the driver of uh, a lot of change for your generation and the way that you engage with work and how work looks different. Do you have any thoughts on how it might change things for you and, and all the other drivers of change that are going to be happening for, for your generation? Yeah, Um, I think in terms of technology, COVID has been like a big accelerator for that change and um, being able to adapt quickly and utilize technology more effectively and efficiently, which has been great in many ways. You know, we can do a lot of um, things online now, which is definitely valuable. I know for me, a lot of networking events used to happen in London, but because of COVID, they came online. So I was able to kind of attend those type of events even more. Um, I think that there is a place for artificial intelligence and AI in our society in helping us to be more, become more productive. I think there are some dangers and I think that there definitely needs to be better regulation around them and how they are integrated into our society. In terms of young people, I think that in terms of technology in general, there is now that kind of need for you to continuously 
educate yourself and upskill yourself so that you're still relevant in the workplace and you're still having those competitive skills that employers are essentially looking for. So I think there definitely is a place for technology in our world and helping us to become more productive and effective in the work that we do. But I definitely think that there, def- there should be some management around how it's integrated in, in our society and how it's managed as well and the impact it has on young people especially. Lynn, what could you um what could you add to that? I mean, there's so much to say on this, but what can you add to this? Yeah, um, well, just kind of echoing uh, Maria's point, really. I think, you know, technology is experiencing huge growth, but I think my worry is that um, young people, particularly those from lower income backgrounds, get left behind because Maria said, you know, it's important that they stay relevant and and upskilled. But I think, again, we're seeing um, a bit of a disconnect in the labour market. So, um, you know, as Maria said, young people are fully aware that digital skills are, you know, really important in the in the world of work. But when you look at how many young people are taking um, IT-related GCSEs, for example, there's been like a 40% decline in young people taking those subjects since 2015, which is which is massive. So there's a bit of a disconnect there between the education system um, and what's happening um, in the labour market. And if you drill down a little bit further into some of those stats as well, um, again, there is diversity issues within that. So um, of those young people that um, took... IT-related GCSEs over that time period, only 22% of them were were female. So there remain diversity issues and I think um, issues that tech businesses and others with tech needs need to address to make sure that they've got a really diverse um, talent pool coming in. I do think tech companies are starting to um, step up to the challenge, um, I would say. Um, We've been running a really successful paid employability program called Tech Futures. And we've had some brilliant tech employers like Blue Prism, Ofcom, uh, UiPath, Verse One and Azure, and their feedback has been absolutely brilliant. So they get amazing young people like Maria <laughs> coming in who've designed their own apps and are doing brilliant, brilliant things. Um, and the young people get to learn about AI, RPA, and and, and all of these other tech um, innovations. So it's kind of a bit of a, a tick tick for um, for both sides. And I think really it, it kind of goes back to some of the other points that we've talked about. It's you know it's not rocket science to be honest. It's about simply about connecting young people to employers. I think the one thing for, for employers to be mindful of as we're sort of in this hybrid world of working with people being in the office and people working from home is is just, again, not presuming young people necessarily have the school, uh, the skills, sorry, or the assets to be able to engage in that in a meaningful way. So we had the Learning and Work Institute do some research for us on the impact of our programs over the last couple of years, because they all used to be face-to-face and then we pivoted to digital very, very quickly. And, and whilst the research showed that there were some like really clear benefits of remote learning, we've also found that um, you know face-to-face remains really, really important for a lot of our young people, um, especially Especially when it comes to making those initial relationships and understanding the culture of a business. So it's just something for, for businesses to remain aware of and just to think about when face-to-face matters and make sure they do schedule in some face-to-face opportunities to meet in person for the young people. On the other hand, um, online delivery, I think, opens up opportunities for a lot of young people um, who might struggle to attend businesses in person. So it might be that they um, 
live out in the sticks. So they're really rural based and it might take them a couple of hours to get into a business. So I think, you know, online, online working and this digital hybrid really opens up opportunities for young people across the UK and, and gives employers access to a much wider um, talent pool again. Um, but I think it's really, really important that employers need to check that the young people have the technology and also a quiet place to work because a lot of young people um, are sharing households with other siblings, might only have one bedroom, might be having one computer between the whole household. So it's really, really important that an employer doesn't presume and just checks in with these things. And then the other top tip that we found when working with young people in a sort of hybrid way is to encourage them, but don't enforce them to use their camera. Um, they will get there, but it might just take them a little bit of time. And also you've got to be conscious that they might be quite self-conscious of their of their background and their home behind them so just little things like telling them how they can blur their background really help and and, and make a difference thank you i mean i'm very glad i know we you uh, shouldn't enforce it as you just said but i'm very glad to see both your faces today and uh, <laughs> thanks very much for talking to Unleashedcast. we pontificate about these things we we discuss these issues kind of from afar so it's really good to speak to you maria and and see what's actually happening at your level and and see and, and hear about the amazing things that you're doing so thanks very much for, uh, both of you for your time thank, thank you, you.